Bible over there in Matthew chapter 27, and as you notice, it's, it's 66 verses, so it's quite a, uh, a long chapter, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of different things that we could talk about from Matthew chapter 27, and I don't want to, I mean, we, we could preach weeks on Matthew 27, just how many things there are, but I want to give you just a few highlights tonight, and you know, re, you can read it and study it on your own, uh, and, and there's really three, three kind of things that jumped out at me when I was studying Matthew 27 this week. If you look at verse number one, the Bible says this, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. Now, here's what you got to understand. When Jesus was, uh, was taken, remember, he was, a- after they, he had established the Lord's Supper, uh, he went off to the garden to pray, and he was arrested. Now, that happened at night, and he was taken to the high priest, and all night long, they had a, a circus of a uh, 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 you know, uh, they, they would accuse him and they couldn't find witnesses that would agree together. Their stories didn't match, but they, they were just trying to find an accusation. That was against the high priest. The high priest, and, and it, it's, it's interesting how it worked because the Roman Empire, the way that the Roman Empire worked is that they would come in and they would take over a, a land, but they would allow the, the leadership that was already there to kind of maintain leadership, even though they weren't really leadership, really the Romans were the ones that were ruling and, and, and the Roman governor was the one that was in charge, but he allowed the high priest and he allowed the different leaders of the Jews to kind of maintain a position of leadership, even though it was under the authority of the Roman Empire. Jesus was initially taken to that Jewish leadership of the high priest and, and the accusations and all those things happened all night long. Now in verse 1 we're told that in the morning he was taken, notice when the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people, the elders talking about the leaders of the people, took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So Pilate is the actual Roman leader. He's the guy that actually is in charge. And of course, they take him in the morning because, you know, Pilate doesn't care about, you know, the, the, the Pharisees being envious against Jesus. He wouldn't be interested in hearing their case, you know, in the middle of the night. So they take Jesus there in the morning, verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when, uh, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, I, I'm not preaching about Judas tonight, and I actually have three points that I want to get to, but I don't want to just skip this, and I, and I want you to understand, we're going to say a couple of things about Judas, but I, I, I want you to notice this, and I'm not necessarily saying that I even believe this, but some people believe, and I just want to point it out to you so you can kind of study it on your own if you'd like, some people believe that Judas did not necessarily mean for Jesus, for things got kind of out of hand, because you got to keep in mind, Judas delivered Jesus to the priest and to the high priest and to the Pharisees. He went to the Pharisees and he betrayed Jesus to them for 30 pieces of silver. But on the next day when Jesus, look at verse 3, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, because remember they just took him to Pilate, uh, when he saw that they had taken Jesus to Pilate and he realized that Pilate actually has the authority to put Jesus to death. The Bible says, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So some people believe that Judas never really intended for Jesus to be put to death. He was just kind of delivering him to the Jewish leadership that didn't really have any power. I'm not, you know, whether that's true or not, I don't know. It's just kind of something interesting there. But that when, when Judas saw that he was taken to Pilate, 
and that he was actually going to be put to death, it, the guilt got to him and he repented and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver. That's just kind of something for you to think about. But here's what I want you to notice. The Bible says when he, that when he saw that he was condemned, I want you to make note of this phrase, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now, today there's so much controversy over this word, repent or repented, or what, what, you know, what, what does repentance have to do with salvation, or what does repentance play in, in the process of salvation, or in the idea of salvation, and you know, it would be easy to just ignore it, it would be easy to just not talk about it, and, 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 uh, and it would just, you know, be easy to minister to people, but it's not something we can ignore, because when you're talking about salvation, there is no more important subject than the subject of salvation. It will determine whether an individual spends eternity in heaven or in hell, and I just want you you notice here, the Bible teaches that Judas died and went to hell. Judas was not saved. The Bible never teaches that Judas was saved. The Bible specifically tells us that Jesus, referring to Judas, he said to his disciples that all of, you know, he, he basically said, not all of you believe on me. He said because he knew from the beginning that there was one that did not believe on him and he was referring to Judas. So the Bible tells us that Judas did not believe on Christ. The Bible t- refers to him as the son of perdition, which is the same phrase that is used for the Antichrist. And if you're the son of perdition, then you're going to go to hell because that's what perdition means. Remember John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish is the same word perdition, but have everlasting life. So Jesus came that you would not perish. Judas was the son of perdition. Jesus said about Judas that it would be better for him if he were never born, all right? So Judas was not saved because Jesus would not save an individual no matter what sin they got into. If they were saved, Jesus would not save that individual. It would have been better for you if you would have never been born. But Jesus would say of an individual that would spend eternity in hell because they never believed on Christ, you know, it'd be better for you to have never been born. So we know for a fact that Judas was not saved. But you know what we also know about Judas? That he repented. I mean, look at verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. You know what that proves? That repenting of your sin is not connected to salvation. An individual can repent. They can feel guilty. They can say, I'm sorry I did that. But that doesn't mean that you're saved. You can still be the son of perdition. You can still die and go to hell. Jesus can still say of you, it would have been better if you'd never been born. Because repentance does not bring salvation. Faith brings salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And today, so many people want to argue with us about this. And they'll say, well, Jesus and John the Baptist, they came preaching repentance. But here's what I always tell people when they want to tell me that Jesus came preaching repentance. Where does it say that Jesus ever said or John the Baptist ever said that you must repent of your sins in order to be saved? See, people want to, they, they want to show me a hundred verses, like, I, like I've never read nine chapters a day or something. You know, they want to show me all these verses in the Bible about Jesus and John saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and repent and you got to repent, you got to repent. I've seen the verses. Here's the question I have for you. Where does it say, repent of your sins? It doesn't say that. See, you got to understand, the word repent, here's all the word repent means, to turn. It, it, and, when it, it, and when you're turning in your mind, it's, it's referring to like a change of mind. Someone can repent of their sins. And, and, and people should repent of their sins. You're an alcoholic, you ought to repent. You ought to change your mind. You ought to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn away from that. And I'm going to be sober. You know, you, you, you've got sin problems, you should repent. 
But when it comes to salvation, what you repent of is not, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm in fornication, or I you know, lie, or I steal. What you should repent of is the one thing that will send you to hell, which is not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, people want to show me all these verses about repent, repent, repent. Well, let me show you some verses about repent. Go to Matthew 21, just real quickly. I'm not preaching about this, I just can't get away from it, because it's right there. And everybody wants to argue about this, and it's such a big deal. I don't understand what's so hard to understand about this. The Bible is extremely clear when it comes to it. Matthew 21, look at verse number 32. Matthew 21, look at verse 32. Because, you know, you want to say, well, Jesus said repent. Okay, well, let's see what he was talking about. Matthew 21, and look at verse number 32. Matthew 21 and verse 32, the Bible says this, For John, this is Jesus speaking, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. Okay, so Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. What was the problem with the Pharisees? When, what were, when John came preaching, what was the issue that the Pharisees had? According to Jesus, here was the issue. They believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had seen it, now notice what Jesus said, repented not afterward that ye might stop living in fornication. Is that what he says? And ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye would stop drinking alcohol. Is that what he says? That you would straighten up your life, that you start going to church, that you start giving, that you start criticizing. No. And ye, when ye had repented not afterward, he said, he said, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. So here's what repentance, when it comes to salvation, means. You didn't believe, you should have repented, so you would have believed. Do you understand that? I mean, is that difficult to grasp? You didn't believe, ye, re- ye believed him not, and ye repented not afterward, that ye might not believe. Go to uh, Mark chapter number 1. Mark chapter number 1, look at verse number 5. Mark chapter number 1, look at verse number 5. Mark 1, 5. You're there in Matthew, just the next book in the Bible. Mark 1, 5. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized in him in the river, confessed. That's not the verse I wanted. Good night. Mark chapter 1, oh, look, verse 15, not 5, 15, I apologize. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this is John speaking. Notice what he says. Uh, I'm sorry, this is uh, Mark 1.15. Now, after that, John was... This is Jesus speaking. I apologize, not John. Jesus came into the Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The verse we just looked at was Jesus about John. This is Jesus speaking. Notice what he says. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Notice what he says. Repent ye and, notice this, believe the gospel. Do you see that? So when Jesus said, you need to repent, and here's what he says, when you repent, here's what it will produce, you'll believe the gospel. So these people were not believing the gospel, but when they repented according to Christ, that the result of that repentance is not less sin, is not, you know, I'm going to quit gambling, I'm going to start, you know, stop cheating my, my boss, or I'm going to stop doing these things. It, what would have resulted of their repentance was, believe the gospel. Go to uh, Acts, real quickly, Acts chapter number... Uh, let's see. I got my notes written down here. Acts chapter number 19. Acts chapter number 19. And look at verse number 4. Acts chapter 19 and verse 4. Notice what Paul said. Acts chapter 19 and verse 4. Again, talking about John. Notice what it says. Then said Paul, 
John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. Okay, so when John was baptizing people, it's because they had repented. Now notice what the Bible says. Saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So, look, there's three clear passages. What was Jesus preaching when he was preaching repentance? He was preaching, you don't believe and you need to believe. What was John preaching when he was preaching repentance? You don't believe and you need to believe. The Bible is very clear. When it comes to salvation, what role does repentance play? People try to accuse, you guys don't believe in repentance. And they act like we're idiots. Don't you know the Bible uses the word repentance? We never said we don't believe in repentance. Here's what we believe. When it comes to salvation, repentance is, I used to believe in Muhammad, but I repented of that, and now I believe in Christ. Or, I used to be an atheist, but I repented of that, and now I believe in Christ. Or, I used to be a Catholic, and I believe that my work saved me, and I believe that I have to go to the confessional booth, and I believe that I have to get you know, catechized, and I believe that I had to, you know, confess my sins to a priest. But then I got saved, and I repented, and I confessed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is according to salvation. It's not, you know, I used to drink alcohol, and now I don't. Now listen to me. If you drink alcohol, you should repent. If you're living in fornication, you should repent. If you're living in sin, you ought to repent, but not for salvation. Because if you do anything to get salvation, you believe in a work salvation, you're going to die and go to hell. Well, I just believe that if you repent, that that God wouldn't send someone to hell if they repented. Oh, like Judas? He repented. He felt bad. He gave back the money. He said, I repent. I've I've, I've gone against innocent blood. And the Bible tells us he died and went to hell. Because repentance doesn't save you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll save you. Now, if you don't believe on Christ, you've got to repent of that. The Bible is very clear. It all explains to people. I remember talking to this individual. I spent like an hour just explaining this to them. And when I was all done, you could tell they weren't even listening. You know, you know when somebody's talking to you and you can tell they're just waiting for you to be done because they've got their little thing they want to say. I explained this whole thing to them. I took them to all these verses. And when I was done, they said, yeah, but the Bible says that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I said, that doesn't prove anything. That's exactly what I'm saying. Where does it say repent of your sins? It doesn't. Just because you use the word repent doesn't mean repent of your sins. In fact, you'll never find this phrase in the entire Bible. Repent of your sins. You'll never find those words lined up in that order. It doesn't exist. Repentance, when it comes to salvation, is I didn't believe and now I believe. That's it. Show me something else in the Bible. And in fact, not only can I show you that the Bible is clear that Jesus and John were both teaching believe, believe, and if you would repent of unbelief, you'd be saved. Here in Matthew 27, we see a man by the name of Judas who repented, who felt guilty, who gave back the money. And the Bible is still very clear that he died and went to hell. Because repentance is not part of salvation. That's not part of the sermon. That's just for free. You get that one for free. I'm not even charging you. Look at verse 4. Saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed. Matthew 27, verse 4. Saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought uh, with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore the field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver. The price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed. And, they, and Jesus stood before the governor. So I, I want you to notice, Jesus goes to Pilate, the governor, 
And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled. Now in verse 15, I want you to notice the, the first point. And the, the point is this. It's interesting to me. In Matthew 27, we have the story of the crucifixion of Christ. But in the, as, as, the Bible has given us this narrative of Christ being crucified. These different individuals are thrown into the mix of the story. And they're really kind of thrown into the mix for no other reason than to just illustrate some things that have to do with the fact that Jesus is dying. Because in verse 15, the Bible says this, Now at that time, oh, I'm sorry, now at the feast of the governor, Uh, Good night. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. See, in the story of Jesus' crucifixion, we learn about kind of this subplot or this substory about a man named Barabbas. But see, Barabbas is thrown into the mix, I believe, because it is a picture of salvation. So as as God is telling us the story of what Christ had to do to bring salvation, he throws into the mix this, the story of this man, Barabbas, which pictures for us salvation. What happened to Barabbas? Notice verse 16. And they, uh, and they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this, uh, with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried unto out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that he but that rather a tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and on our children. Verse 26, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, the story is simple. At the time of the feast, the governor would allow one prisoner to go free. Now, Pilate wanted to set Jesus free because Pilate knew that the only reason they brought Jesus to him is because the Pharisees had envy against Jesus. But he, he, you know, he's a politician, so he's trying to like make everybody happy. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'm supposed to let a guy go anyway. I'll just let Jesus go. But he asked you know, the crowd, you know, should I let Jesus go? And they said, no, no, no. Release Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas, the Bible tells us, was a murderer. Barabbas was guilty. Barabbas deserved to die. He was a murderer. He should have been crucified. But Barabbas was let go. A guilty man was let go, and an innocent man took the punishment that the guilty man should have taken. That is the picture. That is the theological you know, illustration of salvation. I was guilty, he was innocent, I was made free, and he took my punishment. That's salvation. Where in the story does Barabbas have to repent of his sins? 
Where in the story does Barabbas have to go to the confessional booth? Where in the story does Barabbas have to go to church? Where in the story does Barabbas have to, you know, turn over a new life? Where in the story does he have to walk down an aisle? Barabbas had to do anything. Jesus did everything for him. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. And you know what the truth is? You're Barabbas and I'm Barabbas. And that's the picture of salvation. Go to 1 Corinthians, just real quickly. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number... I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. As Jesus is dying for our sins, God says, you know what, I'm going to throw in a story here of a man named Barabbas just to illustrate for you what exactly Jesus is doing, not just for Barabbas, but for every person who's ever lived. You were guilty. I was guilty. Jesus was without sin. And he took our place. Are you there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Look at verse number 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 21. For he hath made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us. Remember, we learned about this on Sunday morning. Who knew no sin? Jesus was without sin. He knew no sin, but God made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's salvation. I was a sinner. He was righteous. He took my sin. I took his righteousness. The guilty was made free. The innocent took the punishment. That's salvation. That's it. The salvation is I deserve to die, I deserve to go to hell, and Jesus took my spot. That, there, there's nothing else. And if I believe on Jesus Christ, if I believe that he did that for me, I'll be saved. And in the story of the crucifixion of Christ, God throws in this story of a man, man named Barabbas just to illustrate, just to picture for us. And Barabbas is a picture of salvation uh, in the story of Christ. Notice verse 27. Verse number 27, if you go back to Matthew 27, look at verse number 27. Matthew 27 and verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governors took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of the soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found the man of Cyrene, Simon. Here we find our second man that's kind of thrown into the mix. First was Barabbas. What did Barabbas illustrate? Salvation. Then Simon just kind of pops into the story as Jesus being crucified. They led him away to crucify him. Verse 32, And as they came out, they found the man of Cyrene, Simon, by name. Now notice what they did with Simon. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Do you see that? Jesus was so beaten and so, uh, you know, just weakened that he couldn't actually physically carry the cross up the Mount of Golgotha. So they find this guy named Simon. They say, hey, you, come here. And they put the cross on him, and he bore the cross for Christ. Now, what's interesting about that is this. Go, go to Matthew, you're there in Matthew 27. Go to Matthew chapter 16. This is a very well-known verse. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But let's just look at it real quickly. Matthew chapter number uh, 16, and look at verse number 24. Matthew chapter number 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus, before his death, said these words. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, notice what he says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
See, what the Bible teaches, you say, well, ah, that's a great story there, Barabbas. Barabbas was made uh, uh, what was guilty, and, and Jesus was innocent, and Jesus took the place of Barabbas, and Barabbas was made free. Praise the Lord for that. You know what? We all ought to start in the place of Barabbas. I was guilty, and I was made free. I was declared not guilty because Jesus took my punishment. But you know what the next step? Jesus died for you to be a Barabbas, but you know that Jesus also died for you to be a Simon. Because after salvation, he doesn't say, I just want to save you. I just want to make you free. He says, once I'm done with Barabbas, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to be like Simon, and I'd like you to take the cross, and I'd like you to... See, he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now you say, well, what does that mean, to take up your cross? Why would you do that? The key word there is deny. Go to Galatians just real quickly. Uh, Galatians chapter number 2. You got First and Second Corinthians, and you got the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter number 2. He said, what does it mean to take up the cross? Galatians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 20. Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Paul said it this way. Galatians chapter number 2. And look at verse number 20. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul said this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So is he talking about a physical crucifixion? No. He says, look, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now notice, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, when Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me, what Jesus was saying is, in the life of every Christian, the first step is Barabbas. The first step is, I'm guilty, he takes my place, he saves me. But the next step is Simon, is you ought to deny yourself. You ought to say, it's not about me, it's not about what I want, it's not about my will, but I'm going to take up the cross, I am going to crucify. Paul said this also, he said, I die daily. He said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth with me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, notice, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself, not for the world, although he did give himself for the world. Do you know that he gave himself for me? You know that Jesus would have died for you if you were the only one that needed salvation? And Paul says, because He gave himself for me because he was willing to take a cross for me. I'm willing to then deny myself and take up my cross and follow me. You know why there are things that you hear preached and you know they're true, but you still don't do them? Say, I know soul winning is right. I mean, pastors preach so much about it. I mean, he's proved it. There's no, I can't get away from it. I cannot deny the fact that soul winning is what we're supposed to do, but I'm still not going to do it. You know what that means? Is your life is about your will. Because if your life was about God, you would say, I will deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him. It's not about me. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm not even alive. A dead man doesn't have opinions. A dead man doesn't get embarrassed. A dead man doesn't, you don't think if you're dead, you're dead. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's what denying your, that's what taking up the cross and following Jesus is about. It's about, it's not me. It's not what I want. It's not whether I want to go to church on Sunday night. It's not about whether I want to read nine chapters a day. It's not about whether I want to, it's not about whether I want to go soul winning. It's not about whether I want to quit sinning. It's about denying myself and taking up the cross. So see, Jesus came for you to be a Barabbas. But it doesn't end there. Jesus also came for you to be a Simon, to take up the cross and follow him. So we have, number one, a picture of salvation in Barabbas. We have, number two, a picture of sacrifice in Simon. Look at verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink, and they crucified him, 
and parted his garment, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They departed my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head this, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou hast destroyed, thou that destroys the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. Now here's what's interesting. They said, and we will believe him. They said, if, if he comes back from this, they said, if he came down from the cross, we will believe him. Now that's a lie. You know why? Because he did come back from it and they still didn't believe it. They, they, at, the end of, at the end of the chapter, they say, hey, the deceiver said that in three days he would resurrect. So they put soldiers. The soldiers come back to him and said, hey, you know what happened? He resurrected. And they said, well, just lie about it. Don't let anybody know. So they're just liars. They're just reprobates. They just don't really care about the truth. Look at verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour... That's noon. There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. So from noon to 3 p.m. there was darkness while Jesus was dying on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. Now, I don't, I don't want to get too far into this, but you, you got to understand this. The God we serve is a triune God. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three, the Bible says the, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. Now, I, I can't explain to you the Trinity. You just have to accept it by faith. But the Trinity is this. There are three persons of the Godhead. There's God the Father, who's a person. Not, not a force, not, a, you know, not, not, not like an entity. He's an individual. And then there's God the Son who's a separate person. And there's God the Holy Spirit, who again, is not just a mystical spirit. He is the person of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, these three individuals are one person at the same time. And what happens on the cross is that for the first time, because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, and God cannot look upon sin, God the Father actually turned His back on God the Son. And that's what we see here when Jesus cries out, uh, you know, those words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Now, here's what you got to understand. God forsook Jesus so that He would never have to forsake you. You understand that? See, He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I mean, he said, he said, you know, once you have everlasting life, once you have eternal life, he said, I'll never take it away from you. He said, he said you, no man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. But Jesus had to be forsaken so that you and I could never be forsaken. That's salvation. I mean, that's, that's an interesting thought there. Look at verse 48. Uh, well, verse 49. The rest said, let it be, let us see whether Elias will come and save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent. The veil in the temple is what separated the holy from the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant. The, only the high priest could go into the veil, past that veil there, and, and the high priest had to make intercession between the people and God. But when Jesus died, the veil was rent, the Bible says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Uh, 
picturing the fact that we now have access to God. I don't have to go to priests to have access to God. We talked about it on Sunday morning. Remember in, in Hebrews it says, therefore we can come in boldly to the throne of grace and, and ask, you know, ask of God and we can go to God directly. Uh, we don't have to go through a high priest because we have the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that picture is there. But I want you to notice verse 52. And the graves, uh, oh, look at verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top of the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Verse 52. And the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. One of the, um, one of the questions that we get a lot when we read nine chapters a day is people ask me, what does that mean there? When it says that the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. What does that mean? Here's what, here's what it means. Ready? The graves were open and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. <laughs> That's all it means. Okay? Don't read into it any more than it says. People, they, you know, people want to get all crazy with these verses. And, well, this means that all the Old Testament saints that were in paradise, now God transferred them up to heaven. Look, is that what it says? Does it say every Old Testament saint that ever lived that was in this mystical place called paradise? The Bible doesn't even talk about, you know, after Jesus died, they all got resurrected and went to heaven. Here's what it says. The graves were open and many, not all, many bodies of the saints were slept arose. We've got to be real careful with Bible interpretation, not just read into these things. That's all it says. You say, well, Pastor Mendes, what do you think that means? Here's what I think it means. There was people that died that were believers and God said, you know what I'm going to do? Just to show people that the death of Jesus was not like any other death, he resurrected some bodies. Now, here's what you got to understand. Remember on Sunday night, we were talking about death is swallowed up in victory? One day, there's coming what's called the rapture, the resurrection of believers, where this corruption will put on incorruption. Remember we looked at that in, in 2 Corinthians? This mortal will put on immortality. One day, there's coming a resurrection when when you get resurrected, you'll get a brand new body that will never die, Okay. That resurrection has not happened yet. But before that happens, if you've read the Bible, you'll know that in the Bible, many people were resurrected. Jesus resurrected Lazarus. Jesus resurrected. Remember, he was at the, uh, there was a funeral procession going by, and the Bible says that he, he touched that, the casket of that young man, and he stood up. Wouldn't that be great to be at a funeral and resurrect him? And then be like, okay, well, guess we didn't need the casket, you know? I mean, Jesus resurrected all sorts of people. In the Old Testament, people were resurrected. But here's what you're going to understand. All those people that had been resurrected, Lazarus, when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, he did not resurrect him in his glorified body. Do you understand that? He resurrected him, but guess what? Later on, Lazarus died again. Okay, he resurrected him physically in his corrupted body. That's, these people were just resurrected like anyone else. They went back home. People said, I thought you were dead. He said, so, so did I. But Jesus died and God resurrected me. You know, just to show his power. But all these people died again. This is not the resurrection where corruptible puts on incorruption, mortal puts on immortality. You say, well, how do you know it's not that resurrection? Because it doesn't say that. All it says is, the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. It's something that happened in Jerusalem. It's not the worldwide. It's, it's many uh, that slept, you know, so uh, if, if you're wondering what I think about it, that's what I think about it. Look at verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Just a thought for you. 
there's a cross coming for all of us. There's a time, you know, you, you, you can take up your cross, but you can understand, there's a, there's a cross coming for all of us. There's a time when you're going to be tried, and the cross will reveal who you really are. See, Jesus could not convince these people that he was the Son of God, but at the cross, he convinced them that he was the Son of God. The cross will reveal who you are, verse 55. In verse 55, we, li- we find our third, our third group of people, and many women. Do you see that? First, we had Barabbas, who pictured salvation. Then we had Simon, who pictured sacrifice. But in verse 55, we have these many women. And what do these women represent? Here's what the women represent, service. Because notice what the Bible says about them. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee. Notice this word, ministering unto him. The word minister means to serve. He says, ministering unto him. And, and here's what's interesting about these women. But before I show you, I want to show you some verses about these women. But before I show you that, go to, go to uh, Matthew 26. Look at verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. Because here's the question that I have. Jesus being crucified, right? The Bible says that the women are there. Here's my question. Where are all the preachers? I mean, Jesus had 12 of them, right? Well, one of them was a devil. He had 11 of them. 11 preachers, right? Where did they all go? Well, Jesus already told us what what was going to happen to the preachers. Matthew 26, look at verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31. Remember this? Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall shall be offended because of me this night. He's talking to the preachers. He's talking to the apostles. Talking to the, the leaders, he said, You're all going to be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Now, here's what he didn't say, because he's gracious, but he could have said, he, he could have looked at all the 11 men and said, All of you guys are going to be scared, and you're going to deny me, and, 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 and you're going you're gonna to run away, and, and, and you're going to be offended because of me this night. And Peter would have said, Well, everyone will deny He said, Peter, shut up. Okay, listen, you're going to deny me three times. I mean, you're going to be the worst one. But here's what he could have said, and he didn't. He could have said, but you know what? The women, they're going to stand by me. The women, they're going to stick there. They weren't scared. I mean, notice what it says. Go back to Matthew 27. Look at verse 55. And many women were there beholding far. Peter is running scared. Because a damsel said, hey, did I see you with Jesus? And here you got the women beholding him afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. Now, here's what's interesting. When you study about these women... You always find the same words attributed to them. Go to Mark 15, just real quickly. Mark 15. Look at verse number 40. Mark 15, just real quickly. We're almost done. I got, I got six minutes. We can do this fast. Mark 15. Look at verse number 40. Mark 15, look at verse 40. I just want you to notice, if you study these women, you always find the same, the, the same terminologies being used. Mark 15 and verse 40. The Bible says, There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Lust and of Joseph and of Salome, who also, notice verse 41, when he was in Galilee, followed him, now notice this word, and ministered unto him. Do you see that? The word minister means they serve. So according to the Bible, who served Jesus? These women. They ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him Unto Jerusalem. So in Matthew 27, 55, we learn about these many women who ministered unto him. In Mark 15, verses 40 and 41, we talk about these women that ministered unto him. Look at Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. Look at verse number 2. 
Luke, you're there in Mark, so just flip over. Luke chapter number 8, look at verse number 2. Luke chapter number 8 and verse 2, the Bible says, And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many other which, notice, ministered unto him of their substance. You see that? Every time you read about these women, here's what God wants to make sure we know. These women were serving Christ. They were ministering unto Him. And even after the, the resurrection of Christ and His ascension, go to Philippians, just real quickly. We've got to do this fast because I've got to be done. Philippians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter number 4. Notice what Paul said about the women. Philippians chapter number 4. And look at verse number 3. Philippians chapter number 4. And look at verse number 3. Philippians 4.3 says this. Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 3 says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. This is Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived. And notice what he says. He says, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. You see that? He said, These women, they they were right there with me. They were preaching the gospel. They labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So you say, what, what, is this, what do these women represent? Here's what it represents. Barabbas represents salvation, and Simon represents sacrifice. But these women, they represent service. And you know what we all need in our Christian life? You know why Jesus Christ died for you? So that you could be like the Barabbas that was saved, and you could be like Simon who denied himself and took that cross and went after Christ. And we should all be like these women, which every time they're mentioned, it's mentioned this about them. They served Christ. They ministered to the Savior. They helped him. They helped Paul. They labored with him in the gospel. This is why Christ came. And it's just interesting. As, as God is telling us a story of the crucifixion, he throws in these characters to say, you know why Jesus is going through this? You know why Jesus is going to be crucified? He's going to yield up the ghost. He's going to die. You know why he's going to resurrect three days from now? You know why all of this happened? Here's why it's happening. So you can be like Barabbas, and so you can be like Simon, and so you can be like these women. You can be saved, and you can sacrifice, and you can serve. Because that's what it's all about, is being saved, denying yourself, and serving Jesus Christ with your life. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.